0: I'm going to read from beginning in verse 4 all the way down through 15. Our 3rd through 5th grade is dismissed and can make their way out. While you turn there, I want to recognize we are beginning a new series called Storyteller, the parables of Jesus that will last throughout this summer. And then we will return to the book of Romans 12 through 16 at the end of that time. As you're turning to Luke chapter 8 verse 4, Uh, I want to just say today we do celebrate the step that took place in our country this week. Any step that is taken to protect the lives of the most vulnerable among us and provide them equal protection under the law is an act of justice worth celebrating. It's a step toward a more just society when we recognize the importance of equal protection of unborn lives and allow state governments to develop laws that oppose elective abortion. For that we should give thanks. Thanks. I also, as we pray for the word this morning and before I read, uh, and before we hear it, I want to pray for the work of organizations like Life First, our pregnancy resource partner here in Woodbridge and Manassas. For many years, they've been an amazing partner uh, for us in this community and led the way in caring for vulnerable women and children as well. I want to pray for our foster and adoptive families among us that set a wonderful example of valuing life at every stage. The beautiful thing is we do celebrate steps of justice, but ultimately we know that we've come to celebrate not just justice, but justification by faith. The gospel reminds us that no matter what sins or evils we have been engaged in, there is hope to be found today in Jesus Christ. And he welcomes sinners of every type and background to experience his mercy in moments like this, and we give thanks to God for his kindness. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathered, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray as Jesus urges in it, Lord, that you would grant us ears to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. Lord, we are grateful that you have given us this opportunity to turn our attention to your word. God, would you help us not to just hear it on a superficial level, Lord, but to be receptive to it or to examine ourselves to lean in for how you want to shape and transform our lives. Lord, we do pray for the ministry of first care in our community. Lord, we pray that you would be with the Pregnancy Resource Center in Manassas and in Woodbridge that cares for vulnerable women and families, that supports them in powerful ways, that organizes so many churches in our community to be able to be involved with supporting life, not just on a legal level, but a practical and real and relational level. So, Lord, may you cause their work to flourish and to bear amazing fruit. Lord, we thank you for those who uh, are in our midst who have led the way in adoption and foster care and caring for children. Lord, we're blessed to be a part of it. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as a church to encourage families that take on the task of caring for children in times of deep need. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to be a church that cares for life from the moment of conception all the way to the grave, that cares for the vulnerable, that leans into seeking justice for all people. Lord, would you grant us the humility to correct our ways and to Lord, to lean into the ways that you want to work through us. Would you help us in the days and years to come to be a place that you would see fit to use as servants in your kingdom? Lord, give us ears to hear even as we listen to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. In some sense, I want you to see that this passage is all about false expectations, uh, you know, this week, actually, I'll be leaving this afternoon with my family to go down and join our other Praetorian Project pastors and church planters at our annual Praetorian Project family retreat. We would encourage you to pray for that. It's an important time in the life of our church family and our larger movement of church planting work. And so we ask for you to pray for that. And as, I, as we go, we'll be going to Georgia Uh, to be with one of our largest supporting churches in the project, First Baptist Church of Lyons. And uh, when I think of uh, unmet expectations, there are few things that come to mind, like the journey down 95 south and all the signs of south of the border. I mean, how many of you have ever pulled in and stopped at south of the border? Only a few brave souls among us. How many of you have seen the signs driving south on I-95? A little bit more. But all the way, as you drive down 95 south, you begin seeing advertisements to the greatest show on earth. The greatest amusement park ever made. The greatest restaurants that you could possibly imagine. Delicacies that have only been described in fairy tales are found at south of the border. Some of you have never decided to get off the exit. And the advertisements, I mean, it's not that there's just one sign, it's that you're inundated driving south with sign after sign about the glories of south of the border. And so one time, our family decided we were going. We went ahead and turned off of the exit. We headed in the south of the border, and it was the epitome of unmet expectations. Yeah, I mean, if you go there, it's basically a bunch of souvenir shops, some you know not-so-great restaurants, and broken-down amusement park rides. Supposedly, they're going to make some improvements. But in some sense, this is the same experience that the disciples are wrestling with, strangely, in the ministry of Jesus they have had a certain set of expectations of what would happen when the Messiah promised the Son of David would arrive on the scene, and now Jesus is there, and in some sense, their expectations are not being met. It's not everything that they thought it would be. And so, this passage and this first parable, which might be the most well-known of all of the parables is meant to address their unmet spiritual expectations about the ministry of jesus and how his kingdom was going to be established and roll forth and so here in this most well-known parable the parable of the soils jesus is addressing some false expectations his disciples and the crowds had about his own ministry You see, from the time that John the Baptist identified Jesus at his baptism, everybody, if you're familiar, you remember this? John sees Jesus coming, and he says, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Well, these disciples began following Jesus at that time. John said, he must increase, and I must decrease. And the focus goes on to Jesus, and expectation levels go high. And they're just waiting for this glorious time of God's kingdom powerfully moving. On one level, the disciples had been overwhelmed and amazed by Jesus' miracles and teaching. And on another hand, they were surprised with the fact that many of the religious leaders had adamantly rejected them. Most Jewish people expected that when the Messiah arrived, it would be a one stage, all in a moment rescue victory scene as israel was freed politically and renewed spiritually and would begin to flourish in every manner kingdom without end as the son of david promised and prophesied assumed his throne forever but that is not what was happening with jesus the reception to his message and ministry was varied and mixed so much so that we see that in luke chapter 7 the the chapter that precedes where this parable is located in the Gospel of Luke. There's a little bit of background, but we see in chapter 7, this immediately preceding chapter, that John the Baptist had been imprisoned by the political leaders and Jesus hadn't sprung him out in some powerful way. So John the Baptist begins to wonder himself whether Jesus is really the Messiah. You can read all about it in chapter 7. And John sends messengers from prison to Jesus to ask one question. And it's this. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? You see, John, he goes from the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to this moment where his expectations haven't been met. And he says, wait a minute, Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another? It was a fair question that revealed that even John the Baptist, with his certainty at Jesus' baptism, is now uncertain as things develop. And so Jesus answers John by showing that the things that Isaiah the prophet had said the Messiah would do, heal the lame, give sight to the blind, give hearing to the deaf, raise the dead preach the good news are all happening in his ministry just had been promised but that conversation and many of the details that precede this parable highlight why Jesus is Jesus the teaching of Jesus here in the parable of the soils was so important for his disciples and is so important for us It helps the disciples re-envision what the establishment of Jesus' kingdom would be like and reset their expectations for what God was really doing in his own timing through Jesus Christ. You see, through this parable, we're going to see that Jesus establishes new expectations for his disciples that will help them be faithful until they experience the fullness of his kingdom. And in many ways, I think it's important for us to take stock of our own false expectations some of us believe that if we had a relationship with God and we began to do things right that we wouldn't face any trials or difficulties some of us had spiritual false expectations of endless blessing and prosperity because of following Jesus Some of us have had expectations that if we did what was right, everyone around us would affirm the direction of our lives. On and on, we often carry our own set of false expectations for God and of what the spiritual life would really look like. And so through this parable, Jesus wants to reframe all of that for us and help us be prepared to bear fruit with patience over the long haul. And so that is what he does in this parable. That's why this parable is here. And we're going to see that in two ways. First, the ki- he shows them that the kingdom comes with patience like a harvest. And second, the fruitfulness of the word is varied like the soils. Two things, we're going to take them in turn and look at them through this parable and see what they teach us and how they reframe our expectations for what the spiritual life really looks like. So the first thing we see is that the kingdom comes with patience, like a harvest. Jesus' answer to why their expectations were unmet is because they had the wrong imagery in mind of how the kingdom would come. The kingdom comes with patience like a harvest. Notice how Jesus characterizes his teaching to the disciples in verse 10. It says this, beginning in verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, it's in parables, so that seeing they do not see, he says, and hearing they may not understand. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples that because of their willingness here to hear his word, notice their curiosity, they are going to gain insight into what God is actually doing through Jesus. That, that there's, there's something about the way that God is working out his will that has a hiddenness. That the glory and power of it is, to say, beneath the soil. That there's something hidden about what is going on here in the ministry of jesus you see the ministry of jesus will be carried out in a way that looks more like a mystery that springs forth and is revealed now the word secret here if you notice in verse 10 he says to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of god this this word actually is the greek word mysterion which is our english word mystery Now, Jesus isn't saying, hey, I've got secret things I want you to know particularly, and I don't want other people to know most uh, particularly. He's saying that I'm going to give you insight into what is not yet seeable about how the kingdom of God works. This word mystery over and over in the New Testament is used to indicate the fact that God's way of working is often hidden below the surface and then springs forth in power in due time. That there are many things that God has been up to all along that have been there in seed form, but we have to wait with patience to see their real fruitfulness. And Jesus is characterizing his ministry this way. He's saying, what I am doing is like a sower who goes out to cast seed. Nobody expects on the day, in the moment, in the season in which the seed is sown for the fruit to to be immediately evident, but to wait with time for the harvest to come. And so Jesus says, my kingdom is coming more like the sowing of the seed of the kingdom at this time, in the first coming, and a harvest in my second coming. The use of the sower going out to sow and the need for patience as the harvest matured and came to fullness was a common theme of Jesus' ministry. Many of his parables, we're not going to cover all of his parables in this series, we're going to look at ten of them, but many of his parables are designed to indicate that the work of Jesus through his ministry and through his people would start off like an insignificant seed and would then flourish to fullness in a surprising manner. That this is how he carries out his work. Many of his parables warn that we will misjudge what is happening if we judge too early. If we judge too early, we'll miss out on observing the fruitfulness that God is bringing. We might even discourage the things that are necessary for that fruitfulness to take root if we demand fast fruitfulness. So, either in someone's life or in Jesus' ministry as a whole, this is how he acts. Now, consider how perfect this imagery of seed, planting, and harvest is for the spiritual life that Jesus lays out throughout the gospel. Consider how perfect it is. It reminds us a few things about the significance of the spiritual life. It reminds us that real spiritual life must be implanted in us. The sower implants the seed because we don't have life in ourselves. It reminds us that it has small and seemingly insignificant beginnings, both in our life and in larger movements in general, God calls us to faithfulness in the small things. It reminds us that much of what happens is below the surface of the soil. You know, the truth is, the most important spiritual work in your life or in the life of our church might right now be happening well below the surface where none of us can see it. God may be preparing hearts for significant future obedience. He may be transforming desires that haven't yet sprung forth into the fullness of actions. But this is how God works. He comes deep within us with the seed implanted and changes us from the inside out, doesn't he? It reminds us that the development of spiritual fruitfulness and maturity can seem mundane at times. This imagery reminds us that the full flourishing of that work is going to be glorious. So this is true for the whole picture of Jesus' work in the world as well as the way it works in the life of any one individual. You see, Jesus isn't just sort of proclaiming an idea for one person. He's particularly talking about his ministry. He says that along the way, as we go about faithfulness, as we join him in sowing seed, as we tend to hearing the word, letting it take root, that despite the fact that at many times, in many seasons around us, we might think much isn't happening, But that's not the case. That we wait to the day when his glorious light is revealed about what is good to judge the fruitfulness of Christ and his kingdom. And the same is true on a personal level. Sometimes God brings us through long seasons of deepening our roots. Before fruit really springs to the surface. This is how the spiritual life plays out, and it's why Jesus uses imagery of seed and planting and sowing and harvest. There are few things more mysterious than the beauty of a seed and its fruit. The fruit of the seed is glorious, especially compared to the seed that goes in the ground and the fruit that springs forth. Have you ever considered it? How amazing it is to see the real harvest from one small seed? The mystery of how it works, how it goes in the soil, the transformation of what dies and what breaks forth and how it comes up and how it gets rooted and it bears up and it grows with sunlight. I mean, I know we have science and we understand some of the way that it works, but the fact that it works? Have you ever just been mesmerized about its beauty and its power? This is the kind of thing that will happen when Jesus' kingdom is fully revealed. The fruit of it will be far greater than the seed that was sown. So here Jesus is saying, be patient to his disciples. His movement is best understood in these terms of the mysterious power of things with humble beginnings. Whatever the disciples had expected needed to be recalibrated. The idea is reconfirmed in verse 15 when the parable ends by saying that the fruit comes with patient endurance how do we experience the fruitfulness of jesus ministry in our life it says in the very last phrase of verse 15 if you look at it that we bear fruit with patience patience so the kingdom jesus is showing through this parable comes with patience like a harvest god's real work in your life comes with patience Like a harvest. The success of God's church comes with patience, like a harvest. We wait on the Lord. We don't glory in ourselves or our own progress. We put our hope in the day when God will come to harvest the fruit. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is the fruitfulness of the word is varied like the soils. This is probably the part you might be most interested in, as Jesus then describes that they may have also had false expectations about the way people would respond. And he wants them to see that the fruitfulness of the word is varied like the soils. Now, one obvious thing, I'm not going to spend a lot of time focused on this because we're going to look at the four soils which Jesus spends the most time on. But Jesus shows that the seed in itself is not the problem. The message is not the problem. The message is eternal. It is the word of God. In the gospel of good news that there is salvation through God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is an unchanging, enduring word. And the word of the Lord endures forever. That seed implanted in our lives by faith as we trust that God does that transforming work is the one thing that will endure when all else fails. And so Jesus then wants to say but help the disciples look around and understand that they're going to ha- they should have some expectations set about the ways that people are going to respond to that message because last time I checked and I've been a pastor for 20 years Christians get discouraged when people aren't responsive to the word I mean I don't know about you but this message is powerful and life changing And I've seen what it can do in the life of a receptive heart. But I've also been discouraged to see what happens when it doesn't fall on good soil. And you know, sometimes I'm even tempted to think, maybe the seed isn't so good. Some of you all have probably been there. And see, Jesus is trying to help reinforce our confidence that the problem isn't in the eternal word and seed that he has given, but that there is a reality in the world that not every heart is ready to receive it. And so Jesus wants us to consider the different types, the different ways in which we might fail to receive the word of God. Some of that might apply to you, even in this season of your life. So in this section that emphasizes hearing the word of God that is sown through Jesus and his people, Jesus helps the disciples prepare for the fact that genuine spiritual life can be confusing because the soils of receptivity vary significantly. I mean, have you ever looked around a group of Christians and said, can that person really be a Christian? I mean, look how they're responding to that trial. I mean, they seem to be concerned about everything else. I mean we just have to take it at face value? Somebody says, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. Is every outward profession sincere? I mean, these are important questions, aren't they? They're important questions for how we help one another. Pursue sincere spiritual life. It's quite possible we can deceive ourselves. It's quite possible we can lack roots. There's all sorts of things that are possible. And, and, and if you've been a part of Christian community or even look at Christians in our culture at large, at many times we scratch our head and say, people who claim to be Christians yet act like this, what do we do with it? <laughs> is there any guidance for understanding what it looks like to be sincere? Jesus says there is. And he gives us some in this passage. This passage helps us sort through some of those important questions. Since we do not have insight into what is happening under the soil, Jesus gives us some instruction about the sort of things we will observe about spiritual growth in our lives and one another's lives above the soil. Essentially, this imagery helps us to be discerning about the different responses we may see to the gospel as it is proclaimed. And there are four types of responses that Jesus says will give us some categories to help us understand what is going on. So I want 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 to just look at those four different types of responses, three negative and one positive. Observe that the different types of soils are given in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. Then they're explained in the same order in verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. In this way, the parable is both for the crowd in general and for the disciples. That means it's actually this parable is helpful For us to do self-examination about our receptivity, anyone in the crowd can do that. And it's also helpful for us as Christians as we seek to minister to one another to aim towards sincere spiritual growth. We can help one another with it. And so the disciples here are those who are going to help make it clear and make it plain in the lives of other people so that we don't deceive ourselves. And so we see that that both are at play. The open-hearted among the crowd can gain insight and understanding, and the disciples who exemplify in this passage curious listening in verse 9 really get to hear what it's all about. Because of this, the spiritual principle of the soils both applies to people's initial receptivity to the gospel and the ongoing assessment of our receptivity in different seasons of our life as followers of Christ. There are four soils, and three that are not fruitful, and one that is. Because of that, I want to first consider the three that are unfruitful as three ways to be unfruitful. (laughs) And so let's just think about three ways to be unfruitful. We can be resistant, we can be superficial, and we can be overrun. Jesus gives us those three categories. We'll go through each of them if you didn't get that. First, we see when it comes to responding to the word, some people are resistant. There's a resistance in the life of some. The first place that some of the seed will fall in that category today, you find yourself closed off to the truths of God's word, that you can come in and maybe even sit through a worship service like this, but there's not any sense of openness where something that is going to be said today, read from God's word, proclaimed through his truth, sang in the songs, would go anywhere below the surface in your life for consideration. It's not going to linger as something to ponder, as something to reflect on later. You might even just never gain any sense of understanding about it because the ideas are so unimportant. This is one situation Jesus describes. So we get that first one that one's probably the most obvious to us but the next two are incredibly insightful the second he says that when it comes to responding the word to the word some claims to faith are superficial now let me show you that jesus describes a second category here in the text he describes it as those that fell on the rock now In fields in ancient Israel at the time, just beneath the surface of the ground in many fields, there were layers of limestone rock. There might be a thin layer of soil along the surface, but the seed would not reach much depth and the rock would not allow a well-developed root system and moisture necessary. Now, now, you may realize also that this parable here in Luke chapter 8 also appears in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4. There it describes this category of the rock as unprepared for the heat of the day. And so the idea, of course, that Jesus uh, then uh, layers into this, Jesus uses this category to point out that there's a type of surface receptivity that is superficial seeds that were germinated along the rock with a thin layer of soil they were they they germinated near the surface and they often sprung up first well before the good soil some of these would spring up with a promising sense of the future harvest but then in the heat of the long summer be extinguished for a lack of moisture in the soil for a lack of root into the rock so jesus uses this category to point out something important that one of the ways people will respond to the gospel one of the ways that people respond to god's word is with a quick positivity to jesus and his message but that positivity or receptivity is not the sort that will endure there's a type of response to faith that withers as soon as trials come I mean, maybe you've observed this, somebody who's quick to sort of respond to Jesus and say, yes, I'm a Christian, I want to follow him, I want to walk with him, they do that, but, but, but after a really short season and at the first testing and trial, they fall away. How are we to understand that? Well, Jesus gives us a whole way of seeing that. It's, it's, it's a faith that hasn't been rooted, he says. It doesn't have roots. You see, genuine faith, Roots itself into the soil and is nourished with some depth. And so the way that really we're to respond to this is to recognize that that what Jesus is really getting at is this idea that we are in danger if our faith doesn't have any roots. The, The way to respond to not being the soil in the second category is to hear God's word and allow it to deepen in us that we would actually provide the space in our life where we can deepen into the rock-solid truths of God's Word in a way that would help us endure trial and testing. So if you look at your life and and you see that your spiritual strength wavers at a moment's notice under testing or trial, the response that you would want to have as a response to this soil is that you would learn to become more rooted in the unchanging promises of God's word. That maybe, maybe you've embraced Christianity or your faith or spiritual things for superficial reasons. Reasons that were right on the surface but didn't have any depth. So now the response is to begin to deepen that. This is Jesus' way of saying that there is such a thing as superficial belief that will be shown in time of testing to be no belief at all. And we should be aware of that. Pursue a faith that is rooted in genuine understanding and trust God through all of these circumstances. So that's the second category of soil, superficial But then there's a third category Jesus describes. He says, when it comes to receptivity to the word, some faith can be overrun by the wrong concerns. Some faith can be overrun. Here is another key insight into why some people are unfruitful spiritually. If you look through your life and you wonder, why is it that I'm unfruitful spiritually? The last category described that we just talked about was uh, sort of a category where there was a quick spring but lacking in roots. Now, this one is different. It describes a seed that has seemingly taken root, one that has gotten rooted into what should be otherwise good soil, but it says has been choked by the thorn bushes that are growing up around it. Jesus uses this category to describe an unfruitfulness in a life that is overrun by other concerns. Look at verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So, here the concerns are with cares, riches, and pleasures of the world. Lesser things is the way we might describe it. You see, it's quite possible That you could be receptive to the word of God on some level, but have been completely overrun by the wrong priorities. I think this is one that all of us at times are in spiritual danger of. I mean, if you were just to examine your priorities, if you thought of your life with Christ as a garden, how tended are the weeds and the thorns? I mean, to what degree are you consumed with things that fall into this category, things of little spiritual significance. How much do things that have little spiritual significance dominate the attention of your life? Jesus says that we can become overrun by these things. Sometimes that can be incredibly subtle because it doesn't mean that they're, they're all incredi- t- totally unimportant. Do we have cares in this world that we need to tend to? Yes, we do. There are things that we need to be concerned about. But here, he's talking about a matter of priority. These things these things are more dominant in the field of our life, in the section of our ground, such that they're able to choke out the real plant of faith. This is what's being described. We can all imagine it, can't we? In, the back, in my backyard, we have... All of these vines, and they just curl up around everything. If you try to plant something, those vines make their way for that, and they begin to curl around that. And you can see how they will quickly choke out anything that is trying to spring to life. This is the picture. It's subtle at first, right? Not a big deal. I'm concerned about this, and it's growing towards me, right? And before long, it's wrapped around the base of my life, and it's, as time goes on, it strangles everything else. This activity I'm involved in, no big deal. And truth be told, it might not be a big deal. But it gains ascendancy in our life. All of a sudden, we schedule everything else around it. There's not much time and space in our life for nurturing spiritual growth, for living out our faith in more obvious ways, for being with others in the body of Christ and encouraging them, for serving Christ and his kingdom because we've been choked out and I got to tell you there's a lot of people in my life who who have felt a significant call to do something vocational in ministry in their future who have been choked out by the pursuit of of a secure 401k I, I mean it's it's a temptation isn't it That we would gain security not by surrendering to Jesus and trusting his purpose and plan to flourish in us, but we would gain our security by garnering more for ourselves. I mean, this is the biggest danger we have as American Christians. That the riches of the world that are so abundant around us, one more luxury, one more pleasure, one more layer of security, and then, Lord, I'll I'll be totally dedicated to you. And and yet we're told that God will flourish his kingdom in our lives if we'll hear the word and then trust ourselves to him. Here we should understand that there is a need for prioritizing the spiritual life and the things that God is most concerned with over and above other pursuits. The cares of the world can choke us to death spiritually and choke out our real fruitfulness in any given season. If spiritual growth and devotion to God is not the priority of our lives, then something else inevitably will be the priority. And spiritual fruit will be choked. Listen, all of this teaching from Jesus has one goal. It isn't for us to worry about being statically stuck in one of these categories of soils. It's for us to flourish and help others flourish in the kingdom of God by hearing these words and bringing our heart in honesty before him. Hearing these words and taking them to heart, letting that seed make its way deep in us and spring forth even amidst what might seem like hard and dry soil that God himself can nourish. Jesus describes the good soil then here with a twin description of an honest and good heart. If we hope for God's work, he says, to be established in our lives and spring forth in fruitfulness, it will do so as we receive it with honesty and integrity. Do you want to know what good soil looks like? Jesus makes it pretty clear. It is honest interaction with his word. It's us having a real transparency before God to say, God, this is true of me. I'm not deep-rooted. I need roots. God, this is true of me. I've never cared about any of the things that your word says matter. But today I'm open. God, this is me. My life is choked out by other priorities. The pursuit of wealth and pleasures and cares of this world. and I'm unfruitful. Lord, bring your plow. Soften my heart. Help me bear fruit. This good reception where we Trust the hope and promise of the harvest that God will bring forth over and above what we have sown. Listen, the Bible makes it clear. We've all planted seeds in our life. Our sins that have, we have sown in our life, the subtle effects of evil that we think we control. We've been sowers too. You see, Jesus comes with his ministry to sow the seed of his eternal word and promise, a whole new way of looking at life. But the truth is, we've been planting things all our lives. We've been planting our own seeds, and we've learned from God's word that the things that we sow also are the fruit that we reap. We've trusted our own ideas. Our own way, we've nurtured these seeds, we've pursued our own purposes. These seeds were small to us at the time. A simple lie, a decision to go against what we know God instructs, an ignoring of a sense of calling in our life towards something God wanted us to do, and we believed it wouldn't matter. And as the scriptures tell us, what we have sown, we will likewise reap. Some of us have lived long enough to see the harvest of our own sin in ways that bring sorrow and lament. And here is where the promise of Jesus is good news. He comes along and he says, let me suffer on your behalf. The ultimate fruits of your sinful harvest I will bear. He comes along and says, let me suffer. Bear that on the cross. On the cross He took our sin with its ultimate fruit of destruction and He received that punishment from God that we deserve to reap. And He promises a new harvest by faith as we believe on Him. As we receive the good seed of His promise and let Him plant in us what He wants to bring forth. For his kingdom if we receive his promise he plants the seeds of his obedience in us and by faith we can trust in the good fruit of his kingdom to spring forth through our lives but we must receive this seed as our real hope for life and I just wonder if you look at your life is that your story have you have you come to God and confess through Jesus Christ that the seeds that you have planted you know that they are going to bring a harvest of misery. But on God's mercy, you are entrusting your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you want his seed of promise and hope for a new kingdom to be raised up in you to bear new fruit for God with honesty and sincerity. This is what it means to receive the good news of Jesus' kingdom. This is what he implants in us by faith, that his work in us is better than our own work for us. You believe it? Has there been a moment in your life where you've acknowledged to God that you don't want the harvest of what you've planted? And you're thankful that Jesus was willing to bear it. Listen, let's, if you have ears to hear, listen. Has there been a moment of sincerity in your life where you have said, Jesus, whatever you Want to plant in me through this promise of forgiveness, I welcome it. Let it take root. I want new life. Nourish it and cause me to grow. I belong to you. See, that's a heart of faith. And you know, the truth is, maybe you've been living on superficial faith that won't survive testing. That's real faith. Maybe you have had that kind of faith choked out of you. You can see a time in your life when when it was taking root, but so many other cares and concerns have been choking it out. And today you just need to hear this and be reminded to water that seed and entrust yourself to God and weed that garden. Be devoted and see what God can do. we close we can think of a few practical ways this can really help us personal personally i think it's important for us to all examine ourselves look for marks in your life of sincerely hearing the word and cultivate that can you be challenged by the word of god to change your mind about anything when was the last time you heard something from god's word and it changed what you thought about that subject Do we have ears to hear When is the last time you embraced a difficult truth because God's word instructed it over against your own wisdom? We can examine ourselves. How how open to hearing the word are we? You know, one of the things I often encourage church members to do is to consider how often have I put myself in a place of hearing the word this year? You know, we often think we're really consistent about that sort of thing, but I find if we take stock of it over a year's time, uh, God calls us to gather on Sundays, hear His word, encourage with one another. And it's not just about legalistically being in a seat on a particular Sunday, but over the last 12 months, if you were to assess it, how many Sundays have you been under God's word, attentively listening to it, letting it shape you? Is that a regular thing? Look for ways in your life to understand which soil you are at any given season. Has testing caused you to shrink back? Have trials caused you to lack trust in God's instruction? Lean into this moment and become rooted. Instead of asking why me or why this, ask the Lord, how how is it you want to use this moment in my life to deepen my faith and to help me root Into the soil do you know that droughts are the thing that cause plants to root deeper for water some of you might be in the middle of a drought in your life and god wants to deepen the roots right now so we can examine ourselves personally i think there's a second thing that we need to consider it's how do we help one another you see here at pillar we're not just concerned about living individualist christian lives We exist as a body and we come together here and in small groups and in discipleship groups because we want to be able to help one another see and identify what sincere spiritual life looks like when it's growing. And so this helps us, you know. it, It helps us realize that we should be quick to listen and slow to cast judgment. In people's lives spiritually why would I say that well the first point we made is that so much of what God is doing in someone's life is below the surface Sometimes we look at the the exterior things we see going on in someone's life And we quickly decide they're doing well spiritually or they're not doing well and we don't take time to listen and understand what's going on at the heart What's driving what sort of thinking is driving the decisions you're making right now and and we quickly shove people aside but we we can maintain a lot of hope when we encourage one another, when we help one another, because a lot of the real work is happening beneath the surface in the soil. I think we can also help each other manage false expectations. This helps us realize the danger of these false expectations that will cause us then to cast aside genuine faith. I think it's important for us to help one another be aware of the dangers to spiritual fruitlessness. To look at one another and say, you know, it seems that the concerns that are most surrounding your life life right now are choking out a real pursuit of Christ. See, it would be important for us to know that that's a real category, isn't it? Because those we're praying with, encouraging, might be be experiencing that. We don't have to tell them you don't have to you know, slap people around with it, but you can ask the question, can't we? I certainly want other people to ask that question in my life if they see those concerns dominating my conversations. But being a part of a body is about inviting those kind of conversations and questions with us. It's about helping one another identify. How can you become more deeply rooted in your confidence in God, more theologically centered, more instructed in God's word and not just sort of running on a sugar high spiritually? See, we have a responsibility to one another. We want to help one another with these things. We can be choked by the cares of the world. We can be not rooted and fall away. And then ultimately it helps us in our mission in the community and this reminds us that we can trust the power of the seed to produce God's work and so we want to sow generously and trust the Lord we want to be people who know that we play a limited role in the way that God brings forth his kingdom but that limited role is important we're to be there with Jesus casting seed that we can represent the message and know that there are going to be others who oppose us there are going to be those who don't listen but there are going to be some who are going to bear fruit and it's going to be powerful We're responsible for sowing the seed, not producing the fruit in other people's lives. There's a freedom to that, to know that we can proclaim God's word and entrust Him to use it. It also helps us be aware that in ministry and in in mission, we need to have patience in the work, especially when it comes to judging effectiveness. We can focus on the quality of our inputs and let God determine the outputs. So much of what has flourished through the preaching of the gospel through Pillar and the Praetorian Project and our other church planting work has come about through patiently letting God do the work. And so therefore, we can do that with confidence even in this season. Let's not forget, so much of the work is happening under the soil. And maybe there's somebody in your life who you've been sharing the gospel with for a long time and it just seems like There's no receptivity. The mystery of the good news of Jesus is that below the surface, you have no idea what's going on. Over and over again, I've seen people who are most opposed at the very end (laughs) of resisting the gospel and resisting God's work in their life. And we might judge from the surface that they're far from God when God is doing a deep work in them to prepare them to receive his word. Don't stop praying for that person that you're concerned about. Don't stop casting the seed. Don't stop working to care for them. And have patience with hope of what God can do. So much of the work is happening under the ground. There's an element of mystery. And so I would encourage us to to hear these words of Jesus and be informed by them as we encourage one another, as we examine ourselves, and as we do ministry with one another For the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Lord we thank you for this day. We pray that you would allow us to hear these words. In a way that would bring about genuine faith. That you would stir us to fresh growth. And action and fruitfulness. Lord give us ears to hear. Lord I pray for the person that may be here today. Who's been resistant for many years. But the gospel. It's hit them as good news for the first time. As they realize that Jesus desires to plant something good in their life, even though they've squandered so much through their own sin. Lord, would you grant that person faith now to call upon you and be saved? We pray for this in Jesus' name.